Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Good morning. It's uh, lovely to be here uh, again this morning. Um, we were in Norwahia last week. But please open your Bibles. We're still in the book of James. almost looks like Narawahia time right now, and I'm getting up to preach. Here we go. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2. And if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're, I think, four, and we may be five weeks in, part four, I think this is, James chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 12 through 26. I'm going to do my best for us to be out starting baptisms for 1130 but no promises. No promises. Like, who, who hears as optimistic as I am? Da- Daniel's as optimistic as I am, so that's good. My son's a bit more of a realist, so he's like, well, probably not, Dad. Let's read. I'm going to read from the ESV. Um, there is a natural break at the start of verse 14 in my Bible, but I think it's helpful for us to to remember that this wasn't written with chapter breaks. And for context, we're going to read from verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would indeed shine the light of your spirit on it and illuminate it to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we've titled this series, Following Jesus in the Squeeze. Remembering that James is not just a book of wisdom written randomly 
to a bunch of to a bunch of people anywhere. He's written in the first century to a bunch of people that are hard pressed, feeling the pressure of their situation, specifically being persecuted for their faith. And they are in the squeeze. And in that squeeze, they are behaving not as Christ followers. That's the general overview of the book of James. And James is bringing loving, gracious, leadership, apostolic correction to them. And in this case, and really through the whole book of James, God has a lot to say about what we say. And we're not even to chapter 3, which is the middle of the book, which is all about what we say. But throughout the book. Now... If you've been a Christ follower for some time, read your Bible, know a little bit of church history, you'll know that the book of James, and especially this passage, has seen a whole lot of controversy over the years. Some of you will know the name of Martin Luther and and know that he had particular issue with the book of James and and even with specific passages. Now, I'm not going to say that I disagree with Martin Luther, but most commentators today do, so I can agree with them. But... The issue is God is the never-changing one. There's been some suggestion that James contradicts Paul, who, gave us, who God decided to give us the majority of our New Testament through. But we know that God is the never-changing one. So, and his word is perfect. So when we see something that we don't understand immediately, our role is to seek to understand it. Not to critique it or to sit above it. Our role is to sit underneath it. We need to remember that Paul's audience was people that were attempting to earn salvation through right action, through deeds, through works. Especially obedience to the Old Testament law, that they thought they could earn their right standing with God. So Paul, much of Paul's writing is addressing that issue. But Paul wasn't against works. He even says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he worked harder than everybody. He was a humble man, but he worked harder than everybody. So he clearly wasn't against works. In Galatians 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, again, works of the Old Testament, counts for anything. But here's what counts. Only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. And that same Paul wrote Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Thank you, Jesus. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works. Hold on, I thought you said he wasn't disagreeing with Paul. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There isn't disagreement between these two. There's harmony in the gospel because they both agree that the grace that changes our soul also changes our life. We are not saved by works, we are saved for works. The grace that changes our soul is fleshed out and lived out in our everyday life. But James seems to hone in on this issue of just saying you have faith. Because he was addressing a bunch of people, Christ followers, that said they were saying a whole lot and doing nothing. They had a whole lot of belief, but their behavior didn't back it up. Their lips said a lot, but their lives were silent. You could say they recited the creed, but there was actually no conduct to back up their belief statements. They were a faithful people that lacked action, and he said that kind of faith is dead. 
That's why we read verse 12. That so speak and so act. Why? Because we're going to be judged under the law of liberty. We're not going to get any time to get there today, but if you read any of the New Testament and the Old Testament passages on judgment, we'll be judged for our acts. We are justified and made right with God, but our reward in heaven, our eternal reward, and Jesus has a lot to say about reward, has to do with judged under the law of liberty to the one who has shown mercy, not to the one who has said merciful things, not to the one who has talked about showing mercy, but the one who has shown mercy. And verse 14 says, What good is it? Or the old King James, I think, says, What does it profit? What does it produce? If someone says he has faith, but does, does not have works, can that faith save him? Who is the one that needs saving here? I believe it's the poor man in verse 2, verse 2, that you say, go and sit on the floor over here. It's not the person who says they have faith that needs saving. They're already saved. But can you say and you have faith, have any benefit or produce anything to the, the widow and orphan that in their affliction... No, you're just saying that, well, and talking about visiting them. No, God says we are to visit widows and orphans. We're to have action. And even the person in front of us that lacks the basic needs, if we say we have faith but do nothing, James here is saying that our faith produces nothing. It is of no benefit to that person. Someone would say they have faith, But you have works. Show me that without your works, James says. How do you show someone your faith? Faith is a spiritual and mental assent to the truth of who God is. Absolutely. So we heard some of the testimonies of faith this morning. So I believe that Christ Jesus really has taken the just punishment for my sin. And the sin of every person in the world. I believe that Jesus really has been raised from the dead and has ascended to heaven. And right now, right now he's seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, ruling and reigning all of creation. He's sovereign. He is in control of absolutely everything right now. And he's working out the redemption of the whole world through the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit placed in individual believers. And James says, well, show me that without your works. Can, you, can, can I show someone this spiritual and mental tick box without something evident in my life? No. It can be in my head, and it can be in my heart, but it has to come out our hands. Doug Wilson says, our faith comes out our fingertips. So yes, our faith is in our heart, it's in our head, but it comes out our hands. It's not just what we believe, it's not just what we say we believe, it's what we do with what we believe. It's what we do with what we believe. It's a bit like love. Carrie and I are going to celebrate 24 years um, next month, married. Now, how do I know she loves me? Well, she says, she tells me regularly, she says she loves me, but 
But how do I really know that she loves me? Acts of love. She can tell me all day long, but if it's not backed up by action, does it really profit anything in the marriage relationship? No. Small acts, a cup of tea in the morning, do... <laughs> just say it. Just say it. No, I'm just saying. She doesn't like hot drinks in the morning. Long story. That, that didn't get the reaction I expected. <laughs> I was not expecting that. But small acts and big acts. Love covering over a multitude of sins. Her grace that is, is evident in actions even when I blow it. Her doing things that she knows that I, just, I should do and I just haven't got around to and she just does them. Well, what? Acts of love are the demonstration or the evidence of that love. The same is true of our faith. Acts that we can't separate them. We are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Like faith, We can't separate, and, and God in his grace has tried to explain it to us in his word, but we, we separate this faith and acts, but their faith and deeds they're one and the same. They're, they're just simply the physical evidence of that which we have internally. And James is writing to a bunch of people, and I think we can relate, that have that internal lawyer happening because they're under the squeeze. Things are not going like they planned it would go. Things are tough. And that's when we start to think, oh, God, Jesus, you didn't, you didn't mean this situation. You didn't have this in mind when you told me to <clears throat> sacrificially give to somebody in need. Jesus, you didn't really know exactly what I was going through when you said to love your enemy and pray for them, to turn the other cheek and offer them that one as well. Jesus, you didn't really mean to give somebody not only my shirt, but my coat as well. No, Jesus, you don't know how tough it is and how poor I am. That's what these guys are saying. It's not when, when, it, when a person that comes and says, I'm lacking the daily needs, remember where these guys are at. These guys have fled Jerusalem. They're scattered all over the Mediterranean. They have no social safety network, no family around. And another fellow believer comes and says, hey, I haven't got the basics. Can you help me? And he says, to these people that are saying, well, we say we have faith, but you're just say, you, you say to them, just go well and be warm and well-fed. That's not any faith at all that benefits, that profits them. Why? Because faith without works, it's dead. It's, it's lifeless. Now, I haven't said, go in peace, be warm and filled, like it says here in James. But I have said to people, just being honest, God bless you, I'll pray for you. I've said something and done nothing. God says, faith without action doesn't benefit, doesn't profit, doesn't produce that which God wants to produce. Prayer can be a religious way of dodging responsibility. Because we're praying someone else will meet that need. But how do you know? 
How do you know that you aren't God's answer to that situation? By all means, pray. There are plenty of situations that we encounter when someone comes up requesting a need. By all means, pray. We need wisdom. And there are plenty of things we face in situations we need wisdom as to what to do. But can I encourage you, don't stop there. Faith that works, faith that saves, faith that profits is faith that prays and pays. Faith has to come out our fingertips. And can I encourage you, something I've learned, pray then and there. Don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you. If you encounter somebody that needs something, pray for them then and there. One, I find it's incredibly disarming. And two, you won't, you'd be surprised at what God will do. Be surprised at what God will do. And again, but don't stop at the prayer. Sometimes we don't need long prayers. We just need quick action. Now, practically, just, where are we at? Practically, we're not going to get, yeah. Practically, we run into all kinds of challenges. Does anybody carry cash? I'll probably get the same response to those people that are, okay. Well, there's, there's more people that carry cash than I thought. But this, the vast majority of us don't carry cash. I carry a, a phone with a couple of cards stuffed in the back, and that's all I go anywhere. So I encounter people oftentimes when I'm out and about that are in need, in need of the basics, food, shelter, clothing. And I can console myself, like, oh, I can't do anything other than pray because I don't have anything to give you. Well, can I encourage you? There's these things, these institutions, they're called banks. They, they hold cash in them, like large amounts, I'm told. And it's, and it's a bit inconvenient to have to go to one. But, but can I encourage you? Put up with that small inconvenience. Go to one. Get some small bills. And stuff them in the back of your, wall, back of your phone along with your cards. I learned this from somebody else in our congregation. And so that way, when you encounter somebody that's in need, you can pray and pay. And you're like, oh, that's really inconvenient to have to go to a bank. Yes, it is. But it's a small inconvenience to help prepare us for the big inconveniences that God wants to bring our way. Because I'm convinced that he does, in faith, that there are people that we know. What, imagine what the city would look like. Imagine what this nation would look like if we acted like we believe Jesus, just like we say we believe Jesus. Now, remember, anytime if you feel like I'm pointing a finger at you, there's three pointing back at me. What if we acted like we believe Jesus, just like we say we believe Jesus? When that hitchhiker, because it's going to be inconvenient to go get some cash. But what if when you, and I know, I'm not saying pick up every hitchhiker. But you and I know, well, I know when I've had to do a couple of laps around a roundabout and turn around and pick up the hitchhiker that I knew the Spirit of God was telling me to stop and pick up. And I was disobedient in the moment, and I had to go up, around the roundabout, turn around, pick him up, because I knew it was going to be inconvenient. Confession, I was in a ministry of education car, it was against the policy, it was going to be really inconvenient. <laughs> I don't work for them anymore, so that's okay. <laughs> but I knew it was going to be inconvenient. I just knew. But I knew that I knew that I had to turn around. And, 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 and I had to pray and pay, 
both more than I was prepared for that day. But I knew that I knew that I knew. Can I encourage us? God is prepared. What is God saying for us to do with the faith that we have? Everything in, in Romans and in Corinthians, it talks about we are to exercise our faith with the measure of that which we have. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, picking up hitchhikers? That is madness. No, well, if, that, if that's too big a bar for you, well, can you, can you, can, do you encounter somebody that needs the basics that you could actually pray and pay? Is there people that you encounter? Like, I, I'm dreaming big. There is, there's a housing shortage in this nation. We have the privilege of knowing a number of, of new migrants to this city that are living in hotel rooms for, over, for months on end, years. But there is not a shortage of bedrooms in this nation. I'm convicted by that. There's a housing shortage, but there is not a shortage of bedrooms. There are people that are hungry, but this we got food. Like, I eat too much, I know. But honestly, there is, like... What is God calling us to do corporately and individually and individually? Now, I'm not saying don't have any boundaries. I'm not saying that each one of us are called to meet every need. But I, I'm, I am stirred by the scriptures, by the books I'm reading, by going to Indonesia and seeing where the gospel is bearing fruit and the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back is the very same places. It is the hardest to be a Christ follower where one can say one's a Christ follower, and then when you and then you need to act like there's a you're a Christ follower, and look what God does. Look what God does. James gets even stronger than I do, and he calls them fools and says, Well, well done. You believe that God is one, you've reached demon level faith. Well done, demon level. That's great faith. That's a bit harsh. You can read in Mark, read through Mark and Luke especially, and you'll just see the demons recognized Jesus straight away. They knew he was God. They knew he was the son of God. They knew that eternal punishment was their, was their end thanks to Christ. They recognized him, but they didn't submit to him. Recognition without repentance, observance without obedience is not faith. God's love language is obedience. What is God calling us to do with that which we believe? And I love it. He, he, James has a bit of an argument here with these readers and says, do you want, do you want me to show you? He call, and he calls two witnesses, Abraham and Rahab. And now Abraham, you think, well, that'd be a witness I would call on my defense as well if we're talking about faith. Yeah, I'd definitely call Abraham. Rahab you might not be the first person you think of, but God in his grace calls a man and a woman as their witnesses. Someone who's well-known and someone who's not as well-known. One who is known for their religion and one we don't know anything about her faith hardly at all. And he says, and he equates their faith as the same. He says, first Abraham and now Rahab, the same. So guess what? None of us aren't covered. None of us aren't covered in these two witnesses. And this is helpful, and I am going to try to end here. But it's helpful because we can still get confused with this issue of James and Paul. Because here in verse 24, it says, You see that a person, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But he uses 
Abraham as a specific example, because you see, Paul is specifically concerned with the declaration of our righteousness. Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Absolutely, we are 100% justified. We are declared righteous, the opposite of condemned, by faith alone, which is a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing we could ever do would ever be sufficient. Our righteousness before God is because what Christ has done and what he has done alone. But James here is, he's presenting Abraham as an argument, as a witness to this argument is that he is concerned with the demonstration, not the declaration, but the demonstration of our righteousness. For those that have been declared righteous... This is how we demonstrate this righteousness. This is how we demonstrate the reality of God that is sovereign and our relationship to him. And I think because we get tripped up because the word justified is used and we think there's only one meaning of it. But we regularly use words that have more than one meaning. Well, the Greeks were no different. Justified does mean declared, but it also means proven to be true or made evident. And that same Greek word is used in Luke verse 29 when it says that God was declared just or God was justified. Well, was God declared righteous? No, he was just proven to be true. The truth was made evident. So the case is made by Abraham with two different events made decades apart. Verse 23, we'll go there first. Verse 23 says, the Scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You can kind of picture him in the witness box and you say, Abraham, what did you do to be declared righteous before God? He goes, well, I believed him. Well, what else did you do? No, I just believed God and he declared me righteous. Okay, justified by faith alone. But then verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Faith was active with his works. Faith was completed by his works. Declared righteous by faith. Demonstrated that righteousness by his acts. You can just picture two different act two different action two different events decades apart god says to abraham take your son the one son i've given you the one i promised to make heirs and bless all the nations of the world take him up the mountain and sacrifice him abraham didn't just say oh i believe you god and stay at home he acted in faith He had to go to the mountain, take everything up it, place his son on the altar, all these actions of faith. And only when he was about to sacrifice his son, God intervenes and says, stop. And God says, now I know. Now, God knew all along. You can't administer a test without knowing the answer. 
But God in his grace stoops down and says, now I know that you fear me. Now we know that you trust me. Trusting costly obedience is the evidence of our faith. And Rahab in the same way. We don't know much of her knowledge of God. We don't know her theology and her doctrine. But when the spies came in need, she said, I don't know much, but I do know that all the hearts of our men are melted with fear. Because the Lord your God is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. So she wasn't an armchair Christian when the spies came. And she didn't just say, go well, be safe, I'll pray for you, God bless you. She puts her home, her family, her very life at risk and welcomes them in and sends them on another way. Trustly, trusting costly obedience. I, I'm convinced there are people sitting in this room that, like Abraham, God is calling you to another nation that you don't yet know. You don't yet know, but you already feel the stirring that God is calling you to go to another nation to see the gospel planted there, to see his kingdom indeed come to cover the face of the earth the way the waters cover the sea. And it's going to cost you. There's plenty of people in this room that have moved for God's purposes, and it has cost you. But that is faith. That is living faith. That is faith that is completed. That is faith that works, that is active along with our works. That is, that is faith that pleases God. There are, and I believe all of us, all of us in this room, you think, oh, well, whew, that's, I don't feel called to another nation. I'm not included this morning. I believe all of us. God is calling us. God has directed us to continue to grow in our trusting, costly obedience to him. Why? Because it's how we demonstrate our faith and our trust. He is in control. He genuinely knows what I need and will supply everything I need according to his riches. I say that, but I'm blessed. I, I got a pantry full. I got, I got food in the fridge. I, I say that, but am I living that out? Do I, do I give sacrificially that I have to rely on God? That's a challenge for me. Again, I'm not saying don't have boundaries, but I'm going to suggest from the scriptures that our boundaries in 2023 here in New Zealand could get a whole lot wider than what they are right now so that we would have our faith producing our faith actually working into completion can i invite you please to stand i'm going to pray and then we're going to go out to i'll ask you parents to please collect your kids fairly quickly and um and gather in the car park for baptisms um we'll need to get changed fairly quickly but uh, gather and gather close around that deck Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as I prayed at the beginning, Lord, it is life to us. Lord, it's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as you direct us through James, Lord, that we would be doers of the word, not hearers, not speakers only.
Lord, for we know that it is indeed you that is at work within us, both to will and to act for your good pleasure. Lord, I pray you would strengthen us to do that which you will us to, and you would indeed be at work within us, Lord, doing that which you call us to. Lord, anything I've said that is of me, or anything that has brought any condemnation, Lord, you remove that now in your name, Jesus, Lord, but anything that has brought conviction. Lord, the truth of your word that it cuts and divides, Lord, and Lord, I pray, Lord, that would settle and indeed bear fruit, Lord, in each one of our lives. We bless you, Lord. Amen.